0: Good morning, Gator Nation! Welcome to a somewhat of a shell shocked episode of the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. I'm your host Neil Schulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather blog, and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. My co-host Chris Yanes is also with us tonight. You can follow him at MrChrisBits on Twitter. And we've got a lot to talk about with Florida losing a stunner. To Vanderbilt, thirty-one to twenty-four. This was not a great Florida team. I think we all knew that. We all knew its shortcomings this year. But to lose to Vanderbilt as a as a fourteen-point favorite, and the fact that it's Vanderbilt, period, is a shocker in its own right. And there's a lot to unpack and discuss, and uh, and I guess predict as we move forward in the aftermath of this most hellacious loss. Uh, Florida basketball did pull off a big win over FSU on Friday night too. We have to at least mention that since this is the pod most closely aligned in time with that game and its aftermath, we were planning to talk about that today. Unfortunately, we can't because we have a result that we were not expecting. That has changed a lot of things that we now have to give most of our time to, that aforementioned 31-24 loss on the football field to Vanderbilt, just as we thought things were turning around for this program. Uh, it was it was a horrifying loss to a team that I, I mean, and this this is a phrase that is extremely unpleasant to say, but we repeat the line as often as we do because it's true every time a team that does not recruit from the same pool of talent as Florida. They do not bother to go after the same caliber of athlete as Florida because they know that they have zero shot at landing it and we lost to them. So because of that, we're going to spend almost all this pod talking about that. And we thought that the win over FSU on the basketball court deserves more time. It was, it was a big win. As we all know, mid major Mike could not beat them until it was, you know, until his last year when it was really too late for him to win the fan base back, but it was a big win on the road in Tallahassee. We'll talk about that in more detail soon when we can, when we can give that game the attention it deserves, because we think it deserves more than just a cursory few minutes on a pod that's otherwise dominated by football. And one last thing before we do talk about our sponsors and then get right in the football portion of the pod, uh, shout out to Gator tennis legend, Ben Shelton, He just won his third consecutive ATP Challenger Tour. He has reached the top 100 in the world. This is a kid that should be a junior in college right now. And he is one of the top 100 tennis players in the world. Not for 20 and under, not for 22 and under, not Americans. He is one of the top 100 tennis players in the world. And because of that... Ranking, he's got a wild card into the Australian Open, which is one of the four the four major Grand Slam tournaments this January. So congratulations to Gator Basketball on beating FSU. Congratulations to Ben Shelton. About our sponsors slash partners, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. The Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses them to bring someone to his or her first ever Gator football game. If you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for 2023, because it's never too early to think about 2023, especially with the way this current season is playing out, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Donations are always very much appreciated, so if you'd like to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the Donate button. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding will have you covered if you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above here are three great reasons why you should do stingray branding number one is a veteran-owned business especially in november when we we say thank you to those who serve can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business two it's run by a university of florida alum and big time gator fan And three, they've got the personal stamp of approval from in all kinds of weather because they did our new logo. They did our new website. They did the new Gator Collective website. They did the new Gator Collective logo. They did the Gator Good Foundation website. And they do the marketing for the Charleston Gator Club. So if you're listening to this podcast and you believe that your business or brand could use help in any of the aforementioned areas, Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. To learn about their services and rates, go to StingrayBranding.com. And with all that pleasant stuff taken care of, my co-host Chris Yanes is with me today. Chris, I mean, there's no, there is no there is no good way to synopsize this. It, it wasn't good. It didn't look good. It, it didn't make us feel good. Uh, the stats don't look good. The game tape didn't look good. There was nothing really good to make about it. So I guess we can attempt to pull some quasi positives out of it at least looking forward but as far as this game in a vacuum in isolation is concerned it was uh it was just awful so i mean what what, what were your takes from it
1: yeah no i mean you know we've uh only now experienced two losses in our entire lifetime to at vanderbilt university first one in our lifetime in the city of nashville Whenever you lose a game to Vanderbilt, it's not fun. We're not supposed to lose to Vanderbilt. It's not the Gator standard. Full stop. And I know that the fans are, are just reeling from it. And we thought that we were turning a corner after beating a bad Texas a and team, but a Texas a team we didn't expect to beat. And then we turned the page to a South Carolina team that we just absolutely clocked at home. And then that same team turned around this weekend and clocked a Tennessee team that we lost to. So college football is a weird sport. That's another conversation. But Nonetheless, it was just a really bad, disappointing outcome for when we thought that this program was turning the corner. We thought we were setting up a showdown where we could have been playing for, for being ranked, finishing an 8-4 record, potentially a, like a January higher-level SEC bowl game all in the first year of Billy Napier after all the adversity we had overcome and, and a 4-4 four and four start. So that's that's all come crashing back down to reality, and we have to deal with still the problems that remain within the program, which we'll discuss today, but... Yeah. There's not a whole lot of positives to take about this other than the fact that help is on the way. And and that's the only hope we really have is that help is on the way and that we do ultimately, while there are a lot of criticisms we can have of the coaching staff, criticisms of the current players and some of the guys who may be coming back next year and are still growing in the program and in the system, it, it, still, it still is a stinging feeling when you wake up the next morning and you realize you lost only for the second time. And 34 years to vanderbilt university
0: yeah i mean help is on the way definitely a line that i think a lot of gator fans are either subconsciously or or consciously holding on to it's some some place in their minds they realize that recruiting is the only thing that there is to look at right now in a positive sense because you can't be too excited about this fsu game they're waxing teams left and right they're going to be favored by at least a touchdown if not significantly more than that they're the one that You know, they're the team that's ranked and we're not. So, I mean, this season, as far as we knew it is, you know, it's kind of shot. Like we at the start of the year said, you know what? Eight and four is going to be a good year. We beat Utah to start the year and everyone goes, oh, well, maybe we're ready for more than that. We just took down a top 10 team. Then we lose to Kentucky. Then USF happens. We won that game, but it didn't really feel like a win. And then we lose to Tennessee. And then we go, okay, well, now we're kind of right back where we thought we were supposed to be. Then we realize hey, the SEC East, the college football playoff, even the New Year Six, that's all gone. That's all off the table. As we had thought before the season began, we're not actually ready for it. The Utah game was a mirage. That game proved what we're capable of, but it did not prove that we're ready to compete for that kind of thing. So let's lower expectations the way we did before the year started, and let's think about some lower expectations for just this year and this year only things that will be good for just this year, like a double digit win season, you know, a a citrus bowl or an outback bowl, or it's not called that anymore. The the Tampa rely bowl, whatever the lowered goals, the recalibrated goals that would be good for just this year. Let's aim for all of that. And then things continue to play out over the next month, the loss to LSU, I know that they're in the top six of the CFP rankings. There's still no excuse for that. There's no excuse to let them score touchdowns on their first six drives of the game. I, I don't care that they're going to be playing in the SEC championship. There's no reason for them to get touchdowns every time they touch the ball. Then we bounce back. We go to Texas A&M. We beat Jimbo 41-24, the nice second half. That feels great. We go get some revenge over South Carolina and Spencer Rattler. A little two for one payback action there. That's great. We're feeling good. It's six and four. We think you know what that eight and four season. That Citrus Bowl. That you know ReliaQuest Bowl. Whatever. Maybe we don't get ten wins, but nine and four. We can still shoot for that lowered expectation goal. That will only be considered a success this year. We could still accomplish that, and then we lose to Vanderbilt, and that blows everything to smithereens. Now now that's all gone. Now it's all gone. Even if we beat FSU, you cannot say at 7-5 and that this season will go down as a success. There will be moments that we remember fondly. Utah, South Carolina, and if we beat FSU, that will be remembered as a successful game, a nice moment, but the season as a whole is shot. I mean, there's so much stuff that went wrong. There were some things that went right. Chris, the problem that I have with Vanderbilt is that the things that were going right for us in the first 10 games of the year stopped going right. We couldn't even count on our old reliable, our offensive line. They weren't doing their jobs. The running game wasn't there, not necessarily because Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne just forgot how to run the ball. No, there weren't holes for them. The I don't really think that play calling has been a strength of Napier's all year, but – that's got to have a hand in the problem too. And the defense, I mean, it, it wasn't terrible. But again, you'd like to think that after, you know, you throw that interception, a crazy bouncing play, you'd like to think that that ball doesn't get picked off 99 times out of 100. But it does. So if Florida's defense goes back on the field. You'd like to think they can do something other than allow a one-play, 28-yard touchdown drive. Like, you'd like to think that they can go out there and do something to stop it. And, oh, the penalties. We haven't talked about that in a negative sense all year because Florida has been playing relatively disciplined football. And we were, even even after last week, Florida got penalized a few times against South Carolina. But you were saying, yeah, you know, the penalties have ticked up last couple weeks. But for the most part this year, it's been an area of strength. They killed Florida against Vanderbilt. So now not only are we dealing with the things – That we expected to be problems throughout the year, like AR having to develop, like the pass catchers just not being great. We kind of knew that was going to be the case, even with bringing over Pearsall, even with Shorter coming back. We knew this wide receiver unit wasn't great. The tight end unit wasn't great. Now there are new problems, and that's what's got me terrified looking forward to these next two games.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's more just inconsistencies you're going to see in year one. In year one, a lot of times with coaches, whether they pan out or not, ultimately, they there's going to be inconsistencies. You'll, you'll probably have a game that you win that you shouldn't have won. You'll have games that you lose that you shouldn't have lost. Now, I think if you look at the schedule, we really have two of those situations. I look at Kentucky and I look at the Vanderbilt game or two games we shouldn't have lost. You can look at a game like Utah as a game we probably shouldn't have won. Uh, you know, and the USF game also was another one that could have easily been a loss. So, you know, I think it all kind of evens out in the end in a first year of a, of a new coaching regime and all the issues that come about. You know, I think you hit it on the head with some of the just the self-inflicted wounds. And Billy Nacre said this before, half, and after the game. We, Florida, there's a lot of Florida beating Florida on that field, more so than Vanderbilt winning the game. If you ask me, did Vanderbilt win this game or did Florida lose the game? Unequivocally, Florida lost the game. They 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 gave up so many points. And there was a great write-up today by Will Miles on his site, Reading Reaction. He actually totaled it all up. Florida left 41 points out on the field yesterday. 41 against an inferior opponent like Vanderbilt. and just And we only lost the game by seven. So let's say we even have two of those plays go our way and we get the points. We win the game. We win the game. I think the biggest one, obviously, is the muffed punt that went for a touchdown in the end zone by Jason Marshall. Uh, you know, he's not a guy that traditionally returns punts. Unfortunately, he had to step in there after Ricky Pearsall and Xavier Henderson had been hurt. But, you know, this he, he, you never feel a punt inside the 10-yard line like he did by backpedaling and then muffing it. That was a very reminiscent of the SEC Championship game against Arkansas in 2006 in Juan e. pierre Louise recovery, except it was against us this time against Vanderbilt. So, you know, just a play like that. And there were multiple plays, though, where we had penalties that put us back on offense, penalties where the defense was actually about to get off the field. They got the third down stop. They didn't. Drive continued, and then they ended up scoring on that drive. And, I mean, it's just self-inflicted. It just really was. And that was an area, I think, where – we had really improved as a program was the penalties. We had been much better at not committing penalties. We are a much more disciplined team this year than we have in, in, historically at Florida, but this was a regression, big time back to the historical mean in that department. So it, it's just, it's very disappointing all around. This, this should not have been a loss. Even on our worst day in Nashville, where we've had plenty of them, as you highlighted in your article on our website today, it, it was too much to overcome. And, and eventually your luck in these situations of being the the better, more talented team runs out. So I think that moving forward, though, if you can improve your roster, your talent, and you got guys that continue to buy into building your system and, and play discipline, then these types of outcomes won't happen. I mean, I'll give you a prime example of yesterday. You asked Kirby Smart and you asked Georgia, did they play a great game yesterday? I guarantee he would say no, they didn't. They, they barely beat uh, a pretty inferior Kentucky team on the road. Kentucky could have easily made that a game at the end. They they missed on some opportunities on their side. But the reason Georgia overcame that is because they just have that much more talent. And Florida does have a lot more talent than Vanderbilt. But I think when you start to have that elite talent in college football on your team consistently across the board, you can start to overcome those things. And, you know, don't get me wrong. We had some guys really step up yesterday for the Gators. I mean, we we had some injuries but you had guys like uh, Dejon Reynolds, who had a complete breakout game, uh o- totaling over 150 yards and two touchdowns, a guy like Ty Bowman, who we hadn't seen a lot this year, getting himself involved uh after Ricky Pearsall and Xavier Henderson went down. So, and a day when the run game wasn't there. But I don't know. Just it's it's just frustrating, and we can talk about it in the circles all day long. But at the end of the day, Florida beat Florida. But that's but see that that last point right
0: there is what has me so concerned. The offensive line was supposed to be the thing that we could count on doing its job all year long. They held their own against Georgia. Big bad Georgia. The Gators' offensive line did its job. There were running lanes. There weren't vacuous jetways to run down, but there there were seams. There were some holes to run through. We got punched in the mouth, kicked in the throat, stomped on, and just completely curb stomped by Vanderbilt in the trenches. And I understand that you know, help is on the way. But that's the one position that from this year's team to next year, we're probably going to get worse because Saibo is gone and we might lose a couple of other pieces from it. So I would have liked to have think- to have thought that that was going to be the constant that we could use next year and say, okay, this is the unit that was extremely solid last year. It was consistent. It was great at what it did. It never failed to do its job. When other units are struggling, this unit can step up and do its job, and we can just lean on it and ride it to a win. We couldn't do that against easily the least talented team in the SEC. And that, Chris, you know, bad day, Florida beat Florida. Yes, understand. That's still concerning.
1: Yeah, no, it is. And there's going to be some soul searching in that locker room going into a rivalry game here on a short week. There's going to be some soul searching in that coaching in that coaching room, not just going into this week in the bowl game, but also in the off season. They're going to have to make adjustments. and I, And you always talk about how, like, you know, Billy needs to really reshuffle the staff. He needs to give a play calling duties. You know what? Like, it's year one. It is year one. When the season's over, there's going to be time for the staff and him to self reflect and look at what did and what didn't work. The, the, I I have full faith in the fact that he is as somebody that is willing to make changes when necessary. You know, he was a successful head coach for four years at the group of five level, won 40 games in four years and two conference titles. That doesn't just happen by accident. You have to be good at what you're doing. You have to under- know that you're doing something correctly. So I, I do believe that, and I know this is a different level, this is power five football. Billy Maker may not work out at the university. We don't know. But I, I think that with the limited coaching experience and time that he has, he's somebody that does learn from his mistakes. Being he was a coach, got fired at Clemson, came back, was a great assistant for uh, Nick Saban, was a great uh, head coach at the group of five level. So he everywhere he's gone, he's gotten better. He's improved. And I I suspect in his big opportunity as a head coach at the power five level here at the University of Florida, he's going to try and do the same. So. You know, those those issues that we speak of here, like the offensive line, you know, like the inconsistencies we've seen throughout this the season on our team, those are things they're gonna work on in the offseason. And they're gonna have fifteen bull practices now to work on those, which is huge.
0: It is. So so two things in particular that I think he has to do this offseason. And by me saying he has to do them, does not state one way or another my confidence level in whether he will actually do them or not. I would think for all the reasons you just mentioned, I would think he ultimately will do these two things. Number one, he needs an offensive coordinator. He, he absolutely does. If nothing else, he needs an offensive coordinator to be there as an assistant for him that he can game plan with throughout the week. He needs a Joe Brady type where even, even if Napier does want to be the one to call the plays, he needs someone to go over the opponent with him. He needs it because looking at that Vanderbilt game, Florida coming out, throwing the rock all over the yard when that's clearly not their strength. Granted, the offensive line not doing their jobs had, it, had something to do with that, and that's not a napier. But I thought the game plan to start the game was very, very odd given that Florida's run game had been in strength all year. Number two, he needs someone... I mean, if he's going to have 80 staffers on his sideline, I'm sorry. He's got to have a clock director or a timeouts manager. There is no conceivable way that he can be the sole person in charge of managing Florida's timeouts next year if he is going to have all these assistants doing all these different jobs. Florida burned all three timeouts in the second half very quickly. And they, I mean, late in the game, when Florida found itself down multiple scores, they're all gone. And Florida, as it was, came 40, 41 yards away on the last play of the game, could have really used those timeouts when Vanderbilt recovered that onside kick and just ran the rest of the clock out. So that's something that Napier is going to have to have someone. Maybe it's just a strategist that comes in in the offseason and gives him maybe like, I mean it, it could be something as as informal as a five-day vacation where he just sits in a hotel ballroom with someone who draws on this giant whiteboard and explains, okay, in this situation you do this, in that situation, you do that. You burn your timeouts only for this reason, that reason, whatever. You he has to go through a crash course in you know timeoutsology one on one because he
1: that that cost Florida, it cost Florida the game against Vanderbilt. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, he. first off, he does have a guy like Ryan O'Hara. Ryan O'Hara is, is, is a big offensive analyst, specifically with the quarterbacks, but he's this trusted advisor when it comes to offensive game planning. He has several other folks in his quote-unquote army that do something similar for each of the other positions. You know, I think the jury's still out on it. Like, here's the thing. If next year the play calling is not better and the, the, or the offense isn't as consistent, because, I mean, look, the offense still put up some good numbers this week uh i think the bigger issue is the fact that the that the run game just wasn't there and i think that really put a damper on florida's ability to hold the ball and move it down the field consistently but i think Napier's is going to get at least another year and i mean here's the thing the reality is he probably if when he by the time he realizes he has to make a change it may be too late so i i think this, this is something we're going to have to live with and hope that it actually works out for napier the big thing I'll say for the off season is he's going to just learn from he's going to have experience. The biggest way to learn from something is to actually experience it. You can read about it. You can you know theorize about it, but until you actually go through it, you won't know for sure. So he's going to have 13 games that he can look at on film, uh, going back into the stats sheet and realizing, okay, in this situation, this is how we reacted. Was it the right one or in this one, This is the way we reacted, and it wasn't the right way. I mean, he's going to have a whole offseason to do a a self-evaluation of himself, of his staff, of his players that will be back in the program next year and go from there. So I think for me, I've said this multiple times, he, he gets a clean pass in year one, clean slate. I, he's earned my trust. Like every time that there is a setback in the program, it's followed up with something good. You know, whether that was a recruiting pitfall earlier in the summer, he followed it up with some good recruiting news. If it was a bad game, he followed it up with some improvement and some good games after that. It, it has been a roller coaster ride. There's no doubt about it. But I think that in this off season, it's a chance to look at the things that were successful as the talent level is infused and, and raised in the program then that's when we're going to really need to start seeing the consistency next year yes like six and six seven and five is will be unacceptable we'll need to see nine ten wins next year in my opinion i think we need to see nine ten wins next year in order to see progress in the program And by year three we have to be competing for a college football playoff berth full stop yep. i mean at, at that that's the three-year that's a three-year rule and how it typically goes in college football but right now year one he gets a, he gets a pass and you know you you can see big improvement from coaches from year at year from year 1 to year 2 look at what hypo's done at tennessee a lot of that was predicated on you know uh the quarterback play and Hinton Hooker which you know thoughts some prayers to him and his his tough injury but that's this kind of situation where you can't flip it in w- from one year to the next but it, like we keep saying it's it we need to increase the talent and this coaching staff has to go through an off season of just self reflection and evaluation
0: Yep, and I agree with all that. And my only real add-on to that is, you know, yes, he has to go through this off-season of reflection and learning and getting better. But here's the thing that that I I think needs to be attached to that statement: if he fails to do that, there there will be consequences. He he will not survive. It's not it's not a situation where, you know, well he gets a pass this year, but he has to do X Y Z next year. But X, Y, Z is not a hard and fast rule. It won't kill him to not accomplish it. And then if he doesn't do it, it's, well, there's some progress. No, 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 no. He's got to show massive progress next year. This and anything even semi resembling this will not be tolerated, will not be accepted. And he will have a lot more pressure on him in year three than I think he otherwise would if next year is not significantly better. And, you know, if year three, he has that pressure on him and it doesn't succeed, then it's going to be time for a different kind of conversation that I think neither of us really want to have, but we, we will do it. We had it about Dan Mullen and uh, you know, if, if the time comes where where that kind of conversation becomes warranted about Billy Napier, it'll, it'll be tough because he's a likable guy, but, You know, and and I think he does have a good vision for the future. But
1: you know, we'll we'll have it. Keep it respectful, but keep it real. So I will say this: just looking at, he's going to have an opportunity. I think too, with the benefit of an easier schedule. This was a very difficult schedule for a first year head coach. Wait, wait, wait! You think next year's schedule is easier? I think it's a little bit easier.
0: Yeah, at Utah,
1: at LSU. I mean, yeah, but I mean, then again, you have, uh, Arkansas home, to Texas home Asia. against Florida state home against Arkansas home against Tennessee. I mean, it always balances out. I, but I mean, I think if I, if you look at it, that's the Utah team, that's not going to be returning the players they are this year, they're going to be flipping their roster pretty significantly, actually. It's true, uh, but- and you know, our non-conference opponents, you know, or you got one, uh, FCS team and one, uh, team that just joined the FBS. So in, in Charlotte, so it's, I don't know. I, I think it kind of evens out for that, but I think it's slightly easier. Yeah, I would say so.
0: Well, I mean, this year we had a, a USF team that has one win, and we nearly lost that game, and an Eastern Washington team that is so-so in the FCS. But anyway, um, yeah, you, so you're talking about moving forward, talking about help is on the way. I think we have to talk about that, Chris, because I think that this – This Vanderbilt game, I think, exists in two contexts. Context number one is the context of this game in isolation slash this season in isolation, and that context is this was humiliating. This was absolutely disgraceful, and it was unacceptable. The context, as far as Billy Napier's overall tenure is concerned, I mean, that context has to start with Well, Kirby Smart lost to Vanderbilt his first year. Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe his first year. Years two for those guys both turned out to be sensational. No one's saying that losing to Vanderbilt in year one is some sort of prerequisite to year two success, but it is to say that if year two is a lot better for Billy Napier, no one's going to care about this game. This game will be thrown out. In fact, I mean, just to show how fickle the fan base can be, if we beat FSU on Friday, no one cares about this game. They'll care. But in in 10 years from now, people are going to remember 2022 for South Carolina, for Utah, and for FSU. Not Vanderbilt, not Kentucky, not the near disaster against USF. So as far as the one game is concerned, it is a horrifying loss. And there is nobody on this podcast, not myself, not Chris, not Casey, who... Has the flu now. He's sick. Best wishes to him. Um, not Dustin. No one's trying to make it anything other than that. But well, what we are trying to say is if the future plays out the way that we believe, and I think reasonably hope it will, no one is going to care or even remember that this happened. So with that said, moving forward, um, recruiting. Chris, I think we got to start with uh, the the one guy that Florida is not going to have in its class this year. Talking about help is on the way. We we got the big flip of Jaden Rashada. That was a big QB pull that I think was, was very unexpected for us, especially after the way we lost him back in the summer. Florida's response to losing Jaden Rashada to Miami and John Ruiz in the offseason was to go pull this kid away from Penn State, Marcus Stokes, from Nice High School. All the buzz is made, oh, Nice, that's where Tim Tebow went. Oh, he's a Jacksonville kid. Oh, continue that pipeline. That's great. And then a video surfaced of him saying a word that he should not have said, that there's nothing else to really say about that than than that he shouldn't have said it, and Florida pulled a scholarship offer. So we're not going to spend too much time on this, but it, it is something that happened, it is relevant. So I, I, this is as, as sociopolitical as we're ever going to get. But Chris, I mean, what, what do you think about it?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's a shame. Uh, that it that it happened he obviously shouldn't have said it he made a, a, a horrific mistake and is now paying the consequences for it and my only hope for the young man is that he learns from it and becomes better from it educates himself and 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 hopefully find success eventually but you know i think the big thing too is through this i hope he shows some remorse and apologizes and um uh, i think he, i think he did in his in his um his letter that he put out today But, you know, I hope he truly is sorry and he learns from it and then just engrossed from it as a a person. He's only 17 years old. We don't want to condemn the kid for the rest of his life. We hope he learns from it and and becomes a better person. And I'm sure there'll be an opportunity for him somewhere, but it's not going to be at the University of Florida. And, you know, I think that the, the coaching staff believes that that's just not they're trying to build a culture. They're trying to build a strong locker room. And, you know, when you have a situation like that happen, it's it's difficult then to have all the players buy in to to having a player like that in the locker room. I think that might have played into the decision some. So we have a we have a great quarterback now, and Jaden Rashada committed. I'm sure that we're going to go through the transfer portal and find potentially other players, depending on how it shakes out with Anthony Richardson this off season. Uh, and we'll go from there, and we'll move on, and and uh, Marcus Stokes will move on too. So you know unfortunate situation it really is it, you know we never like to see this but we hope i just hope that he learns from it and is truly remorseful and sorry and can grow from it yep i mean that's
0: that's pretty much my thought too um i i will say i am not about cancel culture i am not about canceling kids i was obviously very displeased when i saw that video come out of of him saying well, he said the N-word, That that that's what it is. He said the N-word, very displeased about that. It did not appear to be in a hateful or a malicious context, but nonetheless, that's still terrible judgment. I thought it would be a nice teaching moment where he could learn about the history of the word, realize the pain it causes African-Americans when a white person says that word, because, I mean, the historical context of it is a white person You know whipping a slave and and saying that word and it's used to to demean and try to disgrace black people so i mean i you know it it does exist in rap it does exist in in pop culture i i understand that i'm not here to have that debate it's totally different discussion but just in the context of him i hope that he understands at least why there are some people you know, people of color who don't like it when, when white people say it and and it's their right to feel that way. And it's completely reasonable for them to feel that way. I'm not getting into to any more of the of the weeds than that. Like I said, there, there are other sub debates in that genre that can be had about uh, well, no one should say that word. Well, why can black people say it? No, we're, we're not we're not touching that. But the, the reality of this situation as it exists in this context is that he said something that in his position carries a lot of pain and a lot of a lot of frustration and a lot of just just nasty memories and thoughts to a group of people that have a history of that word being used at them in a very very disrespectful context so i just hope he learns about that and learns that perspective and i want to see him get another chance i do i i i was not on board with florida pulling the scholarship offer i wanted florida to be the one to to take him in and say look This is why that's bad. Explain it to him. Give him an education. That's, I mean, that was what 2020 was all about, right? The whole year was about, I mean, me as a white person learning, you and other white people learning and and being educated. I hoped that he could have been educated on this subject. But the bottom line is, um, even if you want to give him the the benefit of the doubt and, and assume he's not a racist, it was still a really, really bad idea for him to record himself using that word, and post it on social media. Like, If if you're going to do it in your car alone, I'm not going to comment on that. But if you're going to record yourself doing it and post it on social media, that is a spectacularly stupid decision. So that's the issue at hand here. Above everything else, the reason why he lost his scholarship offer was because he made a bad decision. That's, I think, where the discussion has to start. And it was a bad decision. He should not have done it. I wish him well. I I really do. I I don't want to see him suffer the rest of his life because of it. But he made a bad decision. And, well, Chris, he paid for it. Yep, No doubt. So uh, speaking of QBs, we do have Jaden Rashada coming in. That is going to be, I think, the the long-term plan at QB. There is a question brewing now. I don't think Richardson played terribly against Vanderbilt. I don't think he played great, but I don't think he was terrible. But if he does leave, which some people are speculating is going to happen, regardless of how he played against Vanderbilt, how he plays against FSU, Florida is going to have to find itself in a new quarterback. They're going to have to find themselves another plan at the QB position. So we talked about this a couple pods ago. My position on this has changed now after watching the Vanderbilt game. But I want to hear your thoughts first. What is the QB plan in 2023? First of all, do you think Richardson is going to come back or leave for the NFL? And if he does leave, what is the plan?
1: So I think there's a lot of buzz and a lot of validity right now to him leaving. My prediction is that if he's a first-round draft pick, uh, if he's predicted by scouts to be a first-round pick, I believe he will go to the NFL this coming year we can have a debate whether that's the right decision for him but the reality is most players when they're projected to go first round they go first round because they don't want to miss out on the opportunity of life changing money millions of dollars that can you know definitely help them and their families out and and yes NIL is a thing now that can keep players in school longer but multi million dollars tens of millions of dollars signing bonus money instantly when you're drafted in the first round is very difficult still to compete with nil money so that's just something that we will have to contend with if that does happen so let's say that it does happen i believe we'll then have guys we'll have jalen kitna uh, we'll have max brown we'll have Jaden rashada so these are two quarterbacks two of the three will be quarterbacks that billy navy recruit and then i do believe i'm also i'm sorry jack miller cannot forget jack miller a transfer that we took his past year if he doesn't decide to stay in the program for another year And then I do think we will go for a transfer quarterback. I think it'll be a quarterback who probably started at another power five school this past year, uh, but is looking for maybe a situation where they can come in and be on a team that's going to make a a run in a big conference like the SEC. So I would suspect it's a quarterback, you know, in another another power five conference that has had a good year. And that, you know, with NIL, now that we are in that era, we can pull other kids from other schools away to our school. And I think that that's the route that we would probably go as a bridge to Jaden Rashada, Max Brown, Jalen Kitna, uh, as they continue to progress in their careers at the collegiate level and need maybe a little more time for development. That'll be a bridge to that moment. And then also, let's keep in mind, we're two weeks away from DJ Lagway making a decision. He's a major 2024 commitment. If we got him, that would be I would I would actually contend that might be the biggest commitment that Florida's had in maybe 10 years. I'll I'll make that bold of a statement. I think it's that big of a deal if we get him, uh, because he's just a very talented kid, to five-star quarterback. We don't we have not gotten those quarterbacks very often at the University of Florida. So and I, I just think it would be a major impact. So you would need a bridge, though, to that point, whether it's Rashada, Lagway, Max Brown, whoever, you know, whomever it is that Billy Eager has recruited and brought into the program. So I think that that's the route we're going to go if Anthony Richardson leaves. If not, if he comes back for another year, which personally I think he probably should. I think he has moments of greatness, but there's also moments where. He needs help and and he needs to improve his game a little bit more before he goes to the NFL. And you can learn at the college level versus the NFL, where it's a little more difficult to learn on the fly and the pressure isn't as high. So, and then in that case, I don't know if we go for a transfer quarterback. It won't be necessary. And we'll have the bridge to Jaden Rashada and those other guys that we mentioned, because Anthony will have stayed in the program for another year. So a week ago,
0: I was not convinced that Florida should go to the transfer portal route because I had been so certain that it wasn't going to be needed because of the depth we had coming back at quarterback with Jaden Rashada. Um, I was assuming that we would get DJ Lagway, which I probably should not have assumed because there are other big-time schools in hot pursuit of him. So anyway, I've thought more about it after that Vanderbilt game. It does seem to me like Richardson is probably going to go. I I have heard buzz that he is definitely leaning that way. Nothing has been decided. I'm not making a claim. I'm not breaking news. I'm not calling a shot. I'm just saying I think that as of right, I have reason to believe not that I think I have, I have real reason to believe he is leaning towards going to the pros. So and, and and for the record, I think that that is a horrendous mistake on his part because I do not think he is close to ready as a passer. The athletic abilities are unquestionably there, and he could definitely, you know, dazzle with just athleticism. He's got the he's got the the Cam Newton sort of vibe to him. He's he's not quite the same kind of athlete, but he's he's pretty close to Cam Newton. So he could probably get away with that. Um, Just get a little bit better as a passer and be a serviceable NFL QB. But I think he could do himself a lot more of a favor by coming back and learning a little bit more mechanics uh, or a little bit more from a mechanic standpoint and just, you know, shoring that up. But I don't think he's going to do that. So I have my eyes on two guys. And I think you mentioned one of them to me off the air. One of them is Grayson McCall from coastal Carolina. I like, I like the way he throws the ball. He looks, he looks confident, he looks sure. He steps into his throws. He looks like he is like he is confidently throwing the ball. Richardson, sometimes he does, sometimes he does not. McCall steps into every throw and delivers it like he's confident about it, which granted he can be because he's in a conference where his offensive line can just bully everybody else. But he is a kind of quarterback that I think Florida fans have been. Aside from Kyle Trask have been have been yearning for for about, no, I mean, aside from Kyle Trask and half a season of Will Greer have been yearning for since Tim Tebow left. I think he would do very well with an offense that features, a bunch of freshmen like Aiden Mizell, like a Eugene Wilson, like an Andy Jean who can take the top off of defense. Assuming Justin Shorter comes back, that's a great weapon to have for him. Mr. Dependable, like a Ricky Pearsall. I think he could do great with him. So, and assuming the offensive line comes back and does its job, I think he could do very well in, in the offense that Napier has, which is different than Dan Mullins. I don't think he would have been the guy to go after if Mullen was, was still the coach. But I think with the more, the more pro style attack that Napier runs, I think the call would be a great fit. And similarly for a lot of those same reasons, uh, Sam Hartman from Wake Forest, I think he would be a guy that could come into Florida and just hit the ground running because of all those weapons, because of the offensive line, even without Osiris Torrance, Florida will figure a way around that. They have two offensive line coaches for that reason. Napier is obviously putting a lot of emphasis on that. Position, so I think even without Osiris Torrance, even if it does take a step back, the offensive line will. I'm going to forget the Vanderbilt game when I say this. The offensive line will do, will be fine next year, and he can he can throw the ball around the yard with confidence too. The one that I don't think that Florida has a real chance at getting, just because I, they have they have deep pockets there in Chapel Hill. I don't think they're going to get Jake May.
1: They they can keep him. Yeah, you know, he's kind of like a a super wish list. Uh, And that's assuming you can pry him away from his situation or he doesn't go pro. But, you know, he comes from a long line of an athletic family. Uh, You had mentioned, you had tweeted out earlier how his brother played on the 2017 National Championship team.
0: At Florida. And
1: then uh, he's got a a long line of family that's played for North Carolina as well. So... There, there is an emotional tie more so to North Carolina than Florida, but he, I mean, in my mind, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I think he's probably the most exciting quarterbacks that I've watched this year, play college football outside of a CJ Stroud or a Hunden hooker, but he's very talented. And, and if you could somehow lure a guy like that away from North Carolina to Florida, then I think that dramatically changes the outlook for next season. Uh, the other thing that I think matters, too, is scheme fit. I think these quarterbacks are more of the mold of that the quarterback that Billy Napier is going to recruit moving forward in the program. Anthony Richardson, while he has improved greatly, I think, as the years have gone on and got more comfortable in Billy Napier's system, I think another year in the offseason would be fantastic for him in this system. He is not really a fit, though. He's more of a spread quarterback. He was recruited to run Dan Mullen's spread offense. And he, I think, would have seen a lot better results in a spread system this year, being that he played in it before. He could have easily just kept going. But, you know, Grayson McCall, Sam Hartman, uh, Drake May, those guys all play that more pro style um, where you see some of those pistol sets. I think that, that, is assist, that those. Are, this system would benefit those players more so. But all three are, are really tantalizing uh, to, to think about maybe in, in, in with Bill and Napier's scheme with those playmakers and skill position guys that you mentioned before. And, you know This team will return a lot of players, starters next year. And then there's going to be a lot of guys on the back end that I think transfer out of the program, find other situations. We're going to be bringing in a rather large recruiting class. I still think it'll anywhere in the neighborhood of 26 to 32 guys because we can't sign over the maximum this year i do think we're gonna hit the transfer portal very hard once again I, i believe it is yeah so we're gonna try to take advantage of it you can really flip this roster quickly and and it's gonna look extremely different next year so a new quarterback that fits his system uh, a, an offense that will have some great playmakers on it. Maybe you go find a, another receiver in the portal just to shore it up, but, or tight end. But I, I do think that if you do those kind of things, you could see a major change, something kind of what Josh Heupel did at Tennessee last year, where he went into the portal. He got guys like Brew McCoy. He had brought a Hooker the year before, you, you know, that, that, that's a, that's a scenario that I could see happening here at Florida. And you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But if if indeed Anthony Richardson is in his last game or two as a Florida Gator quarterback, he will. Uh, we will. I do believe go the transfer portal route. And those three players that you mentioned, at least McCall and Hartman, are two somewhat realistic options uh, to 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 get them. There's there's some smoke out there. I mean, I, I think a lot of people this week on Twitter kind of started seeing those names pop up, and so I think there's something to it. Uh, but we're still a couple weeks away before having serious conversations about that.
0: Yeah, for sure. I like how they're all in the in a very very small geographic area or surrounding each other. Like it it takes one flight from Napier just to go from Gainesville to Myrtle beach up to, to Raleigh, to Winston Salem. He can just accomplish, he can just knock it all out in like half of one day and then get back to doing his recruiting that night. It doesn't take that much time for him to go, you know, travel to all three of those campuses. But, um, although I I imagine that they would come to Florida more than he'd go there, but anyway, um, Yeah, I I do think that Florida is more likely to go portal route now than I was a week ago, just because I, first of all, Marcus Stokes is still in the class. So there wouldn't be room for X number of quarterbacks, assuming that we got DJ Lagway. Then there'd also be Max Brown. There'd be Jalen Kitna. There'd be Jack Miller. There'd be Jaden Rashada. I mean, you can't have 12 quarterbacks on your roster. So Florida, I think now though, with all the smoke of Richardson going pro, is going to be more likely to really hit that portal route hard, and not not just to take a QB to take a QB like they did with Jack Miller. I think Florida took Miller as a as a backup option. They, they don't think they took him with the intention of him being a, a starter. I, I don't think there's any dream of that in in the Florida war room. But this year. Florida is, I imagine, will go hard after a QB. The, the issue that I have, the fear that I have, is Florida either – I mean, either those guys choose to go pro or stay where they are and they don't enter the portal, or they do enter the portal and Florida whiffs on on both of them and, and say Drake May never even enters the portal. Let's say McCall and Hartman both go portal and Florida strikes out on both of them. Now what? That's the question I mean- I've been asking myself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you'll just have to continue to go through the portal and see what else is out there. I mean, because it drops are, off just, after those guys. Well, I mean, not necessarily because you w- there's there could be a guy out there that we're not thinking of right now that's out there that is at another school similar to like that. That's why I kind of tried to stay generic when I was talking about where we would go. I I think that because of the NIL area, you can just say to a guy, hey. You know, what's your situation here? We can make it better for you. We can bring you in. You can play for an SEC school. You can compete for an SEC championship in year two with under billion Napier. You know, at the very least, guys are going to start going back to their own school and saying, this is what this one school is offering me. Can you offer me the same? So right now, we're just looking at those three guys as potential, as potential transfers. But, you know, who's to say there aren't other guys out there? So I... You know, we'll just have to wait and see. A lot's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. We need to get through Florida State. We need to uh, get through 15 bowl practices, and even see if Anthony Richardson. I think at that point, like we mentioned, I think the, a decision will be made between the Florida State game and the bowl game. And after that, we'll we'll have a very good idea of what he decides to do. Yeah.
0: I mean, the issue for me is that those those guys that we mentioned, Drake May, uh, Sam Hartman, and Grayson McCall. Those are the three guys that I think are most likely in the country to you know that that are not obviously going pro. Like we're not talking Bryce Young. Hendon Hooker doesn't I mean he's not healthy. So if he even if he wanted to transfer it wouldn't happen. Um but a CJ Stroud is going pro. Stetson Bennett obviously I mean I don't think he's that good but he's not he's not coming here. So Jaden Daniels isn't coming here. So I think that those are the three guys that exist in the entire sport of college football that A play the quarterback position and in the offense that would make them a congruent pickup and drop in piece at Florida and be good enough to, to have the results that we would like them to have. There may be other guys out there that we're not thinking of. I just don't think that there are any guys out there that we're not thinking of that could be as successful as Grayson McCall, Sam Hartman or Drake Bank would be because I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to Brown. From miami do you i don't want like jay cars like i don't want i don't want like a phil drakovich from Boston. i don't want those guys so yeah the the pool well, you know it could be
1: you could be a, a guy who was a freshman this year that didn't start thought he was and was going to go find a different situation that's true that's true
0: it could be um i'm just yeah I, you're right i get it we know we will have to wait and see that's just that as of this particular point in time those appear to be the favorite options that, that are available out there. You know how college football works, Chris. It can change in the snap of a finger. We see results change on the field from week to week. We can see guys' individual situations at their schools change week to week. So, um, okay. So the Vanderbilt game, we got to put this one to bed before we can look any farther ahead. And Chris, I mean, you you, you know how I operate. These grades are going to be hellacious, but um, but we'll start i will start with the the play of the game. What was the play of the game for you?
1: Oof! So I'm gonna give you, I'll give you, I'll give you a great Gator play, and then I'll give you a the play that I think ultimately was defining of the game. So I think the best play of the game for the Gators was the long touchdown pass to Dejan Reynolds, from Anthony Richardson that got the that got us going in the second half, got us back in the game. And uh, just I just want to just cannot shut him out enough. played a great game on Saturday and made a great play there to get up on um, take the top off the defense. So I'm looking forward to him being a breakout star next year in this offense. I think today he last Saturday he rose to the occasion and he took it full advantage of his opportunity and, you know, made up for the drop. He had a drop in the end zone later in the game made up for it with another touchdown that got us back in it. Yeah, so that was my play of the game for the Gators. My play of the game overall, though, that really just set the tone was the muffed punt. If, I think if that muffed punt doesn't happen, I think Florida has ends up of cruising in this game. The momentum switched at that point. It was right before halftime. It was a critical point of the game. Florida made a big defensive stop, was about to get the ball back, and they muffed the punt, and then it went for a touchdown. And I just think that it just wasn't the same after that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Muff Pond is, is the one that I think everyone is expecting us to go with. So uh, in respect to that, I will purposely not choose that. I'll pick a different play, but that was obviously the play that had the greatest impact on the, the game's final result. So I will say that the play of the game, aside from that, was the attempted, you know, the the dive that, that Ty Bowman made to try to catch the ball on the throw on a third and long Richardson was off balance. It would not have been a first down, but it would have added about five or six yards onto the punt that was coming. Instead of catching it, he he sort of lets the ball rest on his, on his elbows for a couple seconds and somehow then just bats the ball high into the air and it's picked off. And the next play, uh, I mean, literally on the next play seconds later, Ben Bresnahan 28 yard touchdown pass from Mike Wright. Seven free points that Vanderbilt should not have. They should have been pinned in their own territory. There is an element of bad luck to this for sure. Whenever a guy dives for a ball, you have to say, okay, there's a degree of difficulty there that you have to respect. There is no way that ball should have been tipped up like that. Brown has to, or Bowman has to, he he has to catch the ball. If he's going to dive for it, if he's going to get his arms underneath it, he got to catch it at the very least. Trap it and don't knock it up in the air like that. So there's luck involved. It's not, it's not really his fault. Richardson also could have thrown a better ball. He was also off balance, which makes it harder for him to throw a good ball. There were a lot of things contributing to this one play working out so spectacularly against Florida. But that play, I think, had, I mean, it, it did have a huge impact. It gave Vanderbilt seven points on a short field when they should have been pinned back in their own territory. So, um, yeah, that's that. That's, that's that's my non-Jason Marshall fumble play, which, I mean, you'd you think that guys have have seen it happen enough times wrongly in college that, that they know put your heels on the 10-yard line and don't step backwards no matter what. But he didn't, and that also hurt. So player of the game for you, Chris, is who? Uh,
1: I'll go Dejon Reynolds. I've mentioned him enough. I'll say Dejon Reynolds. Uh, he had, you know, 100 and what was it, 150? I have it right here, 165, 165 yards, eight catches, two touchdowns. Just a fantastic day for him. Looking forward to seeing more of those types of efforts from him in the future.
0: I am going to go with Ray Davis, Vanderbilt's running back, who had 30 carries, workhorse, 122 yards, did not have a touchdown. Not going to give you the fantasy points, but he. He really grinded. He really went to work against this Florida defense, the defense that had done very well the last two, uh, the last uh, last three halves of football at least, and he got 122 yards on the ground against them. So for a guy running behind Vanderbilt's offensive line, which you know we'll say as many times as needs to be said, they don't recruit the same caliber of athlete as Florida recruits, so they're at a disadvantage before the game even starts. For him to turn out 122 yards is uh, is pretty respectable. And he also caught a pass for nine yards. So that's 131 yards of all-purpose offense, which, by the way, (laughs) Dan Mullen would be proud of this, was half of Vanderbilt's offensive total. He had 131 yards uh, himself. Vanderbilt finished the day with 283 yards of total offense. Florida finishing the day with 445. So Florida outgains Vanderbilt. So according to Dan Mullen, Florida won the game. Except they didn't.
1: Is that why he was snickering uh, last night in the studio? Because he saw yeah, the yardage, probably. maybe? <laughs> probably. Probably had something to do with it. Yeah. Uh,
0: all right. Here comes the fun part. Grades. Chris,
1: you're the nice guy. So you can play the good cop to my bad cop. Uh, uh my bad man, I'm not going to be that good of a cop today. Um, So the best grade of the day goes to the offense. I gave them a B. They did get almost 450 yards of total offense. They did have two pretty costly turnovers in the game, uh, or one, because, I mean, you can't give the, the, that one turnover, uh, the muff punt, to the offense. That wasn't on them. But they really struggled to run the ball, That was and that's going to play into my grade for the coaching a little bit, because I felt like they needed to ride the run game just a little bit more, maybe some more design runs with Anthony Richardson to get him going in the first half. But they did put up 400 yards passing, 445 yards total, but that rushing total of 45 yards, Dustin... So on cue with these padlock stats of yeah, Florida. Undefeated wow. when we rush for over 210 yards and uh winless when we don't. So we that is we ride and die by the run game. And that was that is what killed us. But still put out a solid offensive output considering we lost two some we two lost two big playmakers in that game. So B for the offense. Defense. I'm going to give them a D. Not a complete fail, but pretty darn close. They did they forced some turnovers. That was a great interception by Jason Marshall to keep them in the game. They made a big fumble recovery while Vanderbilt was driving early on. They did get stops. They just played incredibly undisciplined football on some moments where they could have ended drives and 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 then that 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 killed them and some missed tackles as well. So, not a complete failing of a grade this was actually one of the better total yardage outputs of the season for Florida's defense but that also could be credited with some shorter fields for Vanderbilt special teams here we go F there they they, they earned the F for me this week it is it was bad you muff a punt into the end zone for a touchdown if I could give them a zero I would it it was awful it was Wait, a,
0: so no no so what, when, when you uh, when you give an F you can give your zero to 60 grade. How, how bad of an F is this for
1: you? This is like a zero. Like they, they did nothing to help us win this game. Nothing. No, like made two field goals. Well, I've, I've revised my standards, uh, from oh, last oh, week. Oh, 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 oh. I'll just, you know, when you, when you cost a game on a muff punt, uh, that that's when standards have to change. And, this is bad. This was the worst special teams. This might be the worst special teams output I've ever seen.
0: Have you wait, whoa, 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 I'm sorry? Did you forget last week against South Carolina where we give up a fake punt touchdown? Get a field goal blocked, drop the snap on another one, give up a 40
1: yard punt return on top of it. Have you forgotten all that? The muff punt for a touchdown was costly. Oh, it was just that costly. And we had another missed field goal. We had another or we had a missed extra point. You know, and, and which let's say, let's say for a moment, let's say for a moment, Florida does score on that last drive. They would have been playing for the tie to go to overtime, not the win. That right. extra point was incredibly costly. It could have been incredibly costly had we even scored there at the end. So, but nonetheless, they get the F finally for me. Coaching, I'm going to go D. Wasn't a complete Failure, but it was a disaster in game planning. I felt like they should have run Anthony Richardson more with some design runs when the running backs were having, struggling to get through the line, get him out and open in in space, run, do those power options to the side. And, and And I think the bigger thing is it's better when they get him going early on in the game. They started to do it more in the second half, but I think they need to start doing it more so in the first half to get the run game going because it then pulls those linebackers up and it's going to have those balls, you know, those balls over the middle of the field. Uh, it's going to really open up that play-action game that uh, Florida ex- actually excels at. So, and that's because of the fact they're such a good run team. But when you have no run game, your play-action, your play-action threat is not there. So, the coaching staff could have done a better job, I think, calling plays, devising schemes. I think they put their defense in some tougher situations that they didn't need to be in, especially in those third and long situations. But and then uh, they they definitely deserve a lot of ire for the co- the special teams woes. If there's one thing I'll say that the staff should change next year, because I don't think I mentioned this, is I would hire an actual on-field special teams coach. An actual on-field special. That's, that's, I, that's one area that I'm at. Um, of all the things, I'm not at the point where I want Billy Napier to call – to relinquish play call of duties. He doesn't have to do that in my mind. He doesn't have to hire an offensive coordinator. We don't need to change Patrick Tony, But I do believe we need an on-field special teams coach, period. There's it's bad. No, there's no debate to the contrary, is there? There shouldn't be. You, can, so, you, can't, you can't have the last two weeks and argue against that. I, I agree, but so nonetheless uh, – so. B for the offense, D for the defense, F for special teams, D for coaching. My grade for the game, a 59%, the worst for the season. <laughs> uh,
0: Chris, I mean, I, I'm thankful that I was never in this position as a student, but I'm curious, is is a D considered a passing grade?
1: Uh, I mean, not, well, not that you were either, but... It depends, actually. It depends, some this is this is this is at most universities I, I think, but I know it's at the University of Florida. D in like your college where your degree is can stand for done, whereas with the university as a gen ed credit, it is not a passing grade. You need a C. Okay, all there right, well,
0: interesting. So we'll we'll go with that standard then. We'll go with the standard of of C as a passing grade. And I will say that offense gets my only passing grade of the day and it, and it only barely gets one because the running game for for the offensive line to get, I mean, to lose in the trenches to Vanderbilt is almost as bad as the fact that we lost to Vanderbilt itself. Like if we, if we'd beaten Vanderbilt, if we had somehow survived and Richardson had hit that last second hail Mary, if he doesn't throw it 20 yards out of the end zone and we hit it somehow, when we go to overtime and win the game, I am still every bit as irate at how the offensive line played because at least in the running game, because you have a first round NFL draft pick in Osiris Torrance. You have three other really, really good offensive linemen in white garage. I um, mean, Tarquin Barber, I mean, you you have a very good unit that's been getting the better of teams like Tennessee and Georgia on specific plays, holding your own against them against LSU. They did a great job against a, a team that still, or at least until, you know, the, the Oregon game was ranked in the top 12 or in the top 10 in Utah, you get the better of them and you get dominated by Vanderbilt. No, I'm sorry. That takes a lot. It takes a lot out of the grade. So the the question that I have here is it's, it's a chicken and the egg situation was were, were the play calls, what they were, were we so in love with the passing game because we so greatly did not trust our offensive line in run blocking or was the run blocking just so atrocious on its own and we just said okay well that's not working so that's why we're going to throw the ball more after after the first couple of drives where we try the running game and it doesn't work i don't know what happened in that meeting room i admitted i don't i don't have that information uh so i can't speak on that but because of that, both sides are going to get punished for it. So first, the offense. Offense get to see because you know the passing game was was fine. Richardson did his job for the most part. He threw for four hundred yards. He did miss some reads. Just because he threw for four hundred yards does not mean he had a great game. He missed a, a few reads. He had uh, Dejon Reynolds on a two point conversion attempt play, I believe, that he has to float that ball to the outside, and he doesn't hit that. And instead, he he throws a line drive to the inside and it gets deflected. So that's not good, but he, he played well, he played fine. There's no real heavy criticism coming at him for this game. So see for them. Defense is going to get a D because I, I understand that Richardson and, and Ty Bowman put you in a bad situation. I understand that luck had a lot to do with it. And I'm not even going to call the defense for Antoine Powell, Ryland getting flagged for a face mask, on a sack, which was a 30-yard swing, which led to a Vanderbilt touchdown. The defense subsequently then gave up the touchdown. You cannot immediately allow Vanderbilt to hit that touchdown to Ben Bresnahan. You cannot allow on that the third drive of the game, you cannot allow Vanderbilt it's okay if it's it's one thing if it's Georgia or it's Tennessee or if it's that kind of or LSU or that kind of juggernaut. You cannot have Vanderbilt go twelve plays in eighty-one yards for a touchdown on you. You can't you can't have it. And then there was another drive to start the second half where Vanderbilt goes twelve plays, sixty-six yards, and a touchdown. You you can't have those two things. So again, if it's LSU, if it's Alabama, if it's Tennessee, if it's Georgia, it's one thing you can. You know, you can look at the stats and say, okay, that's a good team. Vanderbilt, no. So D for them. Special teams, a two. I'm, I'm going to give them a better grade than Chris gave him. He gave him a zero. I gave him a two because Mahalik hit two field goals. The muff, the muff punt for a touchdown. I mean, it's. Wait, did you just adopt my standard from last week? I might have. I might have thought about it no. in the last five minutes since you gave your special teams grade. I mean,. I was a student coach on special teams in high school when I, when I got hurt and I couldn't finish out my career as a player. I, I coached the last year and I worked with special teams. We tell our players, we tell our partner turners, you put your heels on the 10 yard line and I don't care what you see or hear. You do not take a step back. You do not take a step back. I don't care what, you, I don't care if you see a, a vacuous hole in, in the coverage. I don't care if you think that you have a wall set up for you, you don't take a step back behind the 10 yard line period. We're telling high school kids that these are ninth, 10th, 11th and 12th graders playing varsity football. We tell kids who are probably never going to get scholarship offers to Florida or, you know, Notre Dame or Clemson or Ohio state kids are probably going to go D3. If, if they're successful, If they're great. We tell these kids that they know that how you're at the university of Florida And you're a five-star signee at that. And you don't, even if you're, even if you're not a punt returner by nature, if you're a player at the university of Florida, you have to be aware of that. You have to know that he didn't, he muffed the punt Reggie fish vibes, as you mentioned, also Antonio Callaway vibes in 2016 against Tennessee. Thankfully the Vols didn't score off of that, but they won that game, but neither here nor there. Uh, Yeah. Can't do that. Can't have it. So, uh, that that's that's a killer. And the missed extra point, as you mentioned. You can't have that happen either. You got to – I mean, extra points are du- – Dustin called field goals uh, – or he likened field goals to free throws. You know, that's your, your specialist job. It's what you're here for. I don't think that's quite fair. I think, you know, hitting long-range field goals from you know, beyond 35, 40 yards or more akin to, like, corner threes or, you know, like like, you know, wing threes. But extra points – those are free throws. You 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 have to hit them. You have to hit them every single time. You can't miss them, and he did, and it hurt. So uh, two, two. He gets a two for that. And uh, Jeremy Crouse also did fine as a punter, so I guess that's worth noting. All right, fine. Three. I'll I'll be nice. There you go, Chris. I, w- I want I want credit for being a generous professor here, giving them that extra fat one point. It's a three. Coaching again. I don't know who to blame for the play calling here. I don't know if the reason we came out throwing so much to start the game was because we were so afraid that we were going to get manhandled in the trenches by Vanderbilt. There's no, I mean, there's no reason we should have thought that. That's an absurd thought to think before the game starts. But when we try to run the ball, we see that that's correct. We see that we cannot run the football. So I don't like the play calling, especially when you're down – Xavier Henderson, and then when Ricky Pearsall gets hurt, you try throwing it even more. But looking at what happened when we ran the ball, I don't, I don't hate that. My big problem with coaching, aside from the Marshall punt return, because obviously you know someone got someone has to drill that into his head. My problem with the coaching is why are you out of timeouts midway through the fourth quarter? That that should never in a million billion gajillion whatever other consonant you want to put in front of alien years that should never ever happen ever ever It, it just it just can't happen and that's the end of the sentence and because napier did that we couldn't stop the clock on the last possession it was it was just a wing and a prayer that we even got down in vanderbilt territory in the last drive so yeah, that, that's that's a mess, and Napier needs – he needs someone to help him keep track of that. At the very least, he has to put himself through time management school next year. But I, I would imagine he could also do something with some of those staff positions and have other people assist him with, with, with game management time management timeout management and special teams management. But at the very least, the coaching was somewhat responsible for the repetitive and predictable play calling – that hurts. Jason Marshall fielding that punt, that comes off of coaching too. The timeouts being gone when you really need them is the killer. I'm going to go with an F. It's it's a big fat F. It's not the zero F because, I mean, there were some good play calls. There were some motivated players out there. So it's not that that two or that five, but it's about a 30 or a 40 type of F. And overall, they get an F. They get a, a fat 20 as a team because you don't lose to Vanderbilt. You don't lose to Vanderbilt. You don't lose to Vanderbilt, period. And they did. So F and the, the drop the class type of F at that. Yeah. I mean, Chris, I mean, before we put this to bed, um, you know, we, we were talking off air about you know, the most embarrassing losses in school history. This loss is is not going to get consideration for number one on that list. I think Georgia Southern will always hold that. I don't think this is even the most embarrassing loss to Vanderbilt in her lifetime because getting curb stomped by a 34-17 margin on our home field will always be worse than losing a road game by one score. But uh, probably not even top five most embarrassing losses in school history. But, I mean, I know you're a student of history for Gator football. So from from your studies, from what you've learned, uh, from the oral histories you've been taught, where do you think this ranks?
1: it's it's like you mentioned not top five I mean yes I would say like if you had to go worst loss in school history to an inferior opponent Georgia Southern would be there I will say the one thing about that Vanderbilt team we lost to in 2013 I think that team finished like eight and four like, it and wasn't four. a yeah. bad Vanderbilt team like that was actually a historically very good Vanderbilt team and we were a historically bad Florida team so yes it was an embarrassing loss at home we Got completely dominated. It wasn't even close. I think he took an Ahmad Fullwood touchdown that was like tipped up in the air to make it even look somewhat respectable. Off someone's heel. Yeah, it was just a crazy ass play. But the yeah, I mean, yeah, we've had some pretty embarrassing losses to Georgia. Over the years, we've you know we've lost to uh, we lost to an awful Mississippi State team in 2004 that got Ron Zuck fired. That was a, a uh, was a Mississippi State team that had a they didn't make a bowl game that year. Three, so yeah, we've we've had some pretty bad losses. I, I I mean I don't even know if I would go as far to say it's top ten. Like it, it might be up there, it might be near the top ten, but it's definitely not top five. And I think like I liked what you said earlier is that and I, and I said this too. If this game doesn't matter. If if we ultimately sign near a top five recruiting class, if our recruiting is near the top three in the SEC, if we end up going into the transfer portal and bringing in and infusing more talent in this roster, if we turn around next year a nine ten win season, ten win team, we're competing for an SEC championship by year three, college football playoff, all that. No one will remember this. Nobody will. I can I can, I bet you right now if you go ask Alabama fans, "Hey, do you remember when ULL beat Nick Saban 21-14 in his first season as the head football coach at Alabama?" They probably laugh at the fact now that that actually happened. Now, on the flip side of that, you could be like 2018 Nebraska and lose to Detroit, and those fans still reel over all of those losses that have compounded since then. So if Billy Napier ends up not being the coach that we hope he is, then yeah, this is going to be a loss that it's just going to compound and it's going to sting for a long time. But if we end up being successful in his tenure here, it's going to mean nothing. We're not going to remember this. I've I've always told people the losses that sting more to me are the losses when it comes, when more is on the line. Like the three, I think the three most painful losses ever as, as a Gator fan for me are 2001 Tennessee, 2012 Georgia, and 2020 LSU. Those are the most painful because there was something on the line. We lost something because we didn't win that game. So, you know, it stings for a weekend. We'll take the trolls. But like you said, next week, if we beat Florida State, then the trolls stop. Yeah,
0: uh, I think there's a big distinction between the most painful and the most embarrassing. Georgia Southern wasn't painful. You're, you're kicking a corpse. The corpse doesn't feel anything. We were, we were already four and six going into that game. So I was actually – I wasn't celebrating, but I was like, okay, that just means we're one step closer to getting Muschamp fired. So silver lining, boom. But, I mean, you also have to, have to consider losses like – In 1990, we lose to Tennessee 45 to three. We lose to Georgia in 1943 by a score of 75 to nothing. Now we didn't have our team then; we were overseas fighting in World War II. But that is a loss that is technically in the record books that we lost 75 to nothing. So that, like, depending on how you gauge that, you can say that that's worse than just the sheer. Ignability of losing to Vanderbilt. I don't know. Like, like that's up to your interpretation, but for me, I'll say this is between six and 10. It doesn't touch Georgia Southern. It doesn't, I don't think it touches the Vanderbilt game in 13. Cause yes, that that was a decent Vanderbilt team, but still wasn't an elite football team by any means. And they come into the swamp and they embarrass us. I mean, it wasn't even a close game and just, just this year optics of getting blown out by Vanderbilt at home, is always going to put that higher than a close loss on the road. There was the final looking in game you mentioned, losing to Mississippi State in 04. The That team was 3-8 and eight and lost to Maine. There was the Fiasco Bowl, 62-24. We just got humiliated by Nebraska for the natty. And this Vanderbilt team, by the way, is not a joke either. Beating Kentucky, they're competitive on a weekly basis. It's not like they're the Vanderbilt team of – Of the three four years before this but definitely a definitely a bad one chris i mean it's it's definitely one that we're not going to forget until and unless napier or if it isn't napier the next guy makes us great this loss will sting until we have another season at the very least like one of the first three of mullen's years at the very least until we're back in the new year six until then this loss will sting the trolls will will be deserved because this is this is embarrassing but as we said before the loss exists in two contexts the context of Napier's you know first season and the loss itself in which it is humiliating and there's nothing you can say or do to make it anything other than that and then there's the context of it is his first year subsequent years results are going to matter a lot more. If Napier does what he's supposed to do in those subsequent years, nobody's going to care about this one. So I think that's it for this episode of the, In all kinds of weather forecast. If y'all enjoyed, then uh, please give us a five star rating and a nice review on iTunes. Definitely would appreciate that. Chris, it sucks, but uh, the sun will come up and hopefully it'll come up with a top five or very close to it. Recruiting class in the
1: near future. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Go gators, man, in all kinds of weather. We'll be back to talk FSU soon.